Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Amen. Well, if you have been with us for a while, you know that we're going through the book of Ephesians. And thus far, we have arrived at chapter 4. And today we will be considering what the Lord will have to say to us from verses 17 to 24. And um, as Pastor Robert said, um, after today we will have a pause in the book of Ephesians until um, September. You know, when everyone has gone away on holiday and, you know, laid on the beach and do what you do during the month of August. Or been in a a tent in, in Cornwall. Whatever your your fancy is, um, we will be taking a break after today. Okay, so if you are in the book of Ephesians at chapter 4, verse 17, can you say Amen? Amen. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Amen. Well, we have considered in our previous study how, last week, how God has given us all a measure of grace and a measure of gifting, which he desires us all to use for his glory. And we considered last week that when Jesus ascended on high, after defeating sin, death and the grave, uh, we considered how he gave gifts to the body, to his church. And he gave individuals, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, for the purpose of building up the body. For the purpose of helping believers... Pursue, which we considered last week, um, experiential perfection. Perfection which we try to achieve day by day as we walk with the Lord. And now, you know, as we consider what the Lord has before us today, I was just considering these things. You know, as we're looking through these chapters of of Ephesians, the, the key thing to have in the back of your mind as you're reading chapters 4, 5, and 6, really, is that the idea is that we walk worthy of the call for which we were called. That's what we've got to have in the back of our mind, because if we're walking 
worthy of the calling for which we were called, then there shouldn't really be a problem with us walking with all lowliness and gentleness, being humble, preferring our brothers or our sisters before ourselves. We wouldn't really have a problem within our relationships, whether it's in marriage or within our families, whether it's at work, which the Apostle Paul will go on to start dealing with. You know, if we're walking worthy of the call for which we were called, then, you know, we will be a light in our communities. We will be a light to our neighbours. But that is the difficulty. It's walking worthy of the calling for which we are called because we know that we are in the world. We know that as well as having our own carnal, lustful desires, we still have a world which definitely wants to pull at us. We have an enemy who wants to do everything that he can in order to prevent us from overcoming. And you know, if we walk worthy then of the call of which we're called, then we wouldn't have a problem walking in unity with each other. Yeah, we're going to have difficulties, but the scripture lays out ways that when we have difficulties that we can outline these difficulties. You know, we can, if we know our brother, if we have fought with our brother, we can go to them. If we know our brother has fought with us, we can, we can go to them in meekness and say, you know, can we, can we work this thing out? Whereas in the world, you know, the tendency is like, oh, you've you got beef, well, I'm not talking to him, or I'm not talking to her. Standard, you go your way, I go my way. But not so in the family of God. And so, the Apostle Paul is highlighting that as believers, we're meant to be different. There should be something different and distinct about us. And I don't mean different and distinct that we all wear white shirts, black ties, and we all go around saying hallelujah. It's a difference where people can see Jesus in the inside. They can, you don't necessarily have to say anything to them, but they know, what, what, what is it about this person? You know, we all cuss and swear and talk about everyone. They don't do that. Why don't they do it? You know, why is this sort of like this nice demeanor around them, you know? And that's really Christ working on the inside which starts permeating on the outside. And again, that is the struggle because we all have difficulties with our character traits. And so... Um, what the Apostle Paul wants to address now is that the world has its way of working, but we as Christians need to have our way of operating within the world and towards each other. So he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their minds. And what the Apostle Paul is really doing here is he's adding to what he's already mentioned in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, which was, you know, we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. 
So he's kind of like going to build on this thought here now. And as he builds on this thought, you know, he, he, he states that he, he is an apostle. He is inspired by the Lord. And he makes this bold, bold statement as he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. So Paul's basically saying, it's not me saying this. You can take it that it's the Lord saying this. I'm speaking by inspiration right now. And I testify in the Lord. And what's he testifying? He's, he's, he's directing and encouraging us to no longer walk in a particular way. Which he says here is to no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And what he begins to do now is he, he makes extreme contrast to it to a degree. And the extreme contrast is of someone who does not know the Lord and they basically degenerate and descend into a life which is totally far and removed from God. And he compares this to the believer in Christ who should conduct their life in an appropriate manner and live righteously before God. Now, he says that we should not walk as the rest of the Gentiles and we've already established within our considerations within Ephesians how, you know, Gentiles means everyone who's non-Jewish. So it's a racial term, but it also has a spiritual connotation to it also. I mean, the word Gentiles is where is, is, in the Greek is called ethnos, and that's where we get our word ethnic from. And the word ethnos, as I said, has this spiritual reference to it too. And Paul kind of like alludes to this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where he says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart. Each one of us should know how to set ourselves apart. And on and living in honour, living upright in uprightness and integrity. Not in the passion of, of lust like the Gentiles, the ethnos, who do not know God. The Gentiles don't know God. They have no relationship with God. And Paul is saying that, you know, we should not be walking as someone, as individuals who, who give the impression to everyone else that we don't know God. You know, we go about our daily business and nobody can tell whether you're a believer or you're not a believer. It's hard to distinguish because we act like people in the world, we talk like people in the world and we dress like people in the world. We do everything what people in the world are doing. What's the difference? Why do I need what you got? You, you're doing just the same thing as me. And so he's saying that we should not act like the people in the world, like Gentiles. They have no relationship with, with, with God. You have a relationship with God, therefore you need to act like it. The Gentiles, they walk with no eternal direction because they don't have eternity on their minds and you know we can 
we can see that in the world we live in now. People just live for the here and the now. Why worry about tomorrow? But Paul is saying that as believers, we have to do something with our minds. Because the mind is the real battleground. The mind is where it all starts. The mind is where we have all these, our reasonings and we make decisions whether we're going to do A or whether we're going to do B. You know, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you know, as believers, we kind of like, in a way, we kind of like bounce that about like, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We kind of like use it as a, yeah, you know, I'm thinking along the Lord, uh, uh, my thoughts are with the Lord and everything, and so, but it's actually written in a negative sense. That, in its context, that is written in, you know, uh, talking about someone who just thinks about their belly, eating and drinking. Look it up when you've got time. Because that same portion of scripture then goes on to say, but you apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. And then it goes on to what we all know, do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You will beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. You see? Correction, you know, instruction, knowledge, correction. All used within the same chapter there, same verses. And these are the things which the Lord uses to build up his children. You know, my mother used to always say, Who cannot hear must feel. Do I need to translate that? If you're not going to follow instruction, you're going to suffer the consequences. You know, there's two ways. There's basically two ways of learning. We either learn through instruction, or we learn, you know, through experience. And, you know, it's always easier to hear and say, yes, amen, I understand, I follow, I do. But, you know, it's within our makeup as, believe, as, as, as human beings that we don't want to listen to instruction. I work with young people. You know, no matter how many times I tell them, don't do this because it won't be good for you. Don't live your life that way. They still want to live on the road. They still want to shop green. They still think that they're better than the system. They still think that uh, you know, they're not going to get caught by the police. And they still end up in Felton. They still end up in trouble. And then years later, sometimes they drift back in and say, P, I wish I'd have listened to you. Now I'm trying to fix my life up. Now I'm trying to go back to college. Now I'm trying to get an education. They don't want to listen to instruction. And it, it, I'm going off point, but it's especially with the young girls. Get bamboozled by some boy and I say, look, you're living dangerously. Don't get involved with these boys here. Don't do it. Oh no, it won't happen to me. You think I'm stupid. 
day, if I had a couple of pounds for every time a young girl said that to me, I would be all right. And so, generally, we don't like to listen to instruction. Generally, the things which are good for us, they're the things we repel against. Generally, you know, somebody who sets a good example and a good standard, we think, well, that's good, but that's not for me. We don't follow the good examples and the good standards. It's it's more exciting to live on the edge. Well, the edge gets you in trouble. And Paul is saying, look, it starts with your reasoning. It starts with the way you think. The futility of your mind. Other words for futility is the vanity of your mind. You know, when you hear the word vanity, what do you automatically think of? What I always think of, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Ecclesiastes. And a striving under the sun. Is it a striving under the sun? After the wind. A striving after the wind. When are you going to catch the wind? It's, it's a striving for something which you can't obtain. And you know, Solomon, they consider him the wisest man who ever lived. Probably the richest man who ever lived. Had a, had a concubine for, two concubines for enough every day of the year. As, as well as his wives. So if... According to womanizing, he had it on lock. According to having money, he had it on lock. According to wisdom, he had it on lock. And he turns around and says, Vanity of vanities. It's all just a striving after something which you, you can't really obtain. And we see people striving. Striving. I've got to have... I can't just have a degree, I've got to have a master's. Nothing wrong with a degree, nothing wrong with a master's. I, can't, I don't just want this job, I want that job because it's more money. I don't want that car, I want this car because it's better. There's nothing wrong with these things. But if it takes the place of God, and you start striving after these things, it's got the wrong place in your world. It's vanity. It's the futility of the mind, and that's what Paul's talking about. The world lives according to this way. The futility of their minds. And basically, it's just summed up as self-centeredness. That's what it's summed up as. Self-centeredness, or in terms of knowing what you know, it's being self-opinionated. I know what I know, this is my position, and you're not going to change me. And probably as the guys go out regularly doing evangelism, you probably come across a lot of that. People established in their position. There's no real basis for it, but but it's my position. Why would I want to believe some fantasy called, called the Bible? It's self centeredness as opposed to being God centered. It's being self opinionated as opposed to living by God's opinion well Lord what do you have to say about these things what do you have to say about how I'm conducting my life, how I'm living my life and so he says 
that they're having their understanding darkened. And when he speaks about having their understanding darkened, again he's referring to the mind. The mind is darkened. And the word darkened is an interesting word in the Greek. I know I'll throw a lot of Greek words at you guys, but it's porosis, which in, in, in this context it also has a, a reference to a callus. And in medical terms, it's a condition which forms around broken bones that make the bones harder than what they normally are. And if somebody who suffers from this condition, it just brings lack of sensitivity and extreme discomfort. So, the mind is darkened, the understanding is darkened, there's no sensitivity. It's hard. And maybe a small example of this is um, any one of you who play the guitar or the bass. You know, when you start playing the guitar, your fingers become very, very sore. And so what happens is on the tips of your fingers, you, you develop these calluses. Because what it's doing is it's, it's numbing the sensitivity to that area so you can play the guitar. It's a numbness. People in the world, Gentiles, numb to the things of God. It also has another medical connotation, which is where it's a build-up of calcium in the joints, where that the joints seem to function as they should function. And again, you see the imagery which Paul's trying to paint here is that someone who's darkened in their understanding, you know. They're numb, desensitized. They don't want to know about the things of God. And they choose to live this way. They choose to live without God. They become hard to the truth, and therefore they become ignorant to the truth. And it's like it's like when the Apostle Paul says that it's like they have their own conscience seared with a hot iron you know you ever speaking to someone it's like you just cannot get through to them you just cannot you, you, you say black they say white you know you say one they say three it's you just can't get through to them continue in verse 18 it's being alienated from the life of God you see there's no relationship there's no relationship with God there's no life of God in them they are strangers to God strangers before him and so we look at this condition which Paul is painting here and you, got, you know you say well God is it your fault that they are in this condition you know a good example of this will be Pharaoh, for example. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He was not having it from the Lord. He was not having it from God. So God said, you know what? You're going to harden your heart? I'll harden your heart. You'll get, people can get to the point where they harden their heart so much towards God that God says, alright then. You've hardened your heart. I'm going to harden 
And this is the downward spiral which someone who chooses not to believe in the Lord, someone who chooses not to accept Christ, this is the downward spiral they can find themselves in. And not everybody is like that. As I said, it's, it's an extreme. You know, people in the world are at different degrees of this. But it's not God's fault because he goes on to say it's because of the ignorance that is in them. They choose to live this way through willful ignorance. And it's because of the blindness of their heart. They are hard in heart and they are blinded to the truth. Who being past feeling, again, they get to the point where they're totally numb and desensitized to sin. And as I said before, you know, this is what we see in our world today. This is what we see amongst our young people. The youth of today, they don't necessarily value their own lives, therefore why are they they going to value somebody else's life? They have no value for things because we live in this disposable society, you know? Something breaks down, you throw it away, you buy another one. desensitized no value being past feeling having given themselves over to lewdness and as Paul wrote this remember he's writing this to the believers in Ephesus and Ephesus was the center of the worship of the goddess Diana and the main characteristic of the worship of Diana was it was sexual sin. It was shameless wantonness. That's what it was all revolving around. And Paul Paul is saying that people who who get so far away from God they can end up in shameless wantonness. And, you know, again, you know, the society we live in today, you know, sex sells everything. We've said this before, but it's true. Sex sells everything. It's like sex is a multi-billion dollar industry. It sells everything. And in Ephesus, they were using sex to entrap people into the occult and other things like that. But now it's like, as I said, sex sells everything. If we're not careful, we're just lured away. You know, was it Job who said that he made a covenant with his eyes? Because it's easy, it's easy to get distracted. Sex was rife within that society and sex is rife within our society also. And as believers we have to be careful that we're not taken away and carried away with these things. We are not to be like the ethnos, like the Gentiles who give themselves over to work all uncleanliness with greediness. 
And so we get the picture that a hardness of heart rapidly leads to a darkness of mind which rapidly leads to a, a recklessness of life and a deadness of soul which ultimately all comes under the judgment of God. And we can see how man is just totally depraved. You know, and in considering these things, you know, I just thought, well, well, Lord, things in my mind just seem just as bad now <laughs> as I read about in Genesis 6. Well, you just judged the earth. I mean, what's the difference here? And I had to just consider that, you know, it is really only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. And you know, whatever your theological standpoint on Second Thessalonians is, you know, it says, for the mystery of lawless, lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And I considered that really it's only the, the restraining factor of God why he hasn't just already placed judgment on planet earth already. Because I'm sure things are just as bad now as they were in Genesis 6. And so, these verses, they just describe this terrible condition of those who do not know the Lord and those who have no intention of wanting to know the Lord. And as I said, you know, you just can't put everybody into that category there. They're all variances within that. But ultimately that could become a downward spiral. So that's the negative. But Paul highlights these things and he paints this negative picture so that he can now give us the good news. And as I've always said, I like God's buts. And he says here, but you have not so learned Christ. Amen. You know, we have not learned to live like that. We once lived that. We once followed the course of the world doing those things, but now, oh no. Um, but you have not so learned Christ. We're not to be living like that. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be distinct, as I said before. We're not meant to be playing on the borderline or on the edge of how close can I get before it becomes sin. There needs to be something different. Because as we've already considered in chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them God's prepared these things for us for us to have this journey now we make decisions on a day by day moment by moment basis to be pleasing before him to walk in righteousness to walk in holiness and so he says you know we have not so learned Christ 
So this is the first positive contrast Paul wishes his reader or his hearer to hold on to. Learning about Christ. And again, it places the emphasis, emphasis on us learning, studying, sitting under the word so that we can be taught by the word. Taught by our teacher. The next positive contrast which Paul brings out is hearing. When he says, if indeed you have heard him. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, in the classroom of God, we are to be his children, listening and hearing from Christ. And the next thing he mentioned is, is teaching or being taught. He says, and having been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Learning, hearing and being taught by Christ, which will help us go all that way on that journey to no longer being ignorant of the truth because now we're taught by the truth and Jesus prayed it in John 17 he said Father sanctify them by truth your word is truth so if we need to find out that standard of what is the standard of truth it's God's word what part of God's word all of God's word and after establishing these things Paul then goes on to give us again this imagery of clothing of taking off one thing and putting on another he says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, as we think about those things, I'm sure we can all think about things in our own lives, in our own personality, our own character, which we could easily take off. You know, this, this isn't, isn't a good thing about me, if you're honest with yourself. And then we can get one of those things which the Lord presents to us here. A bit of humbleness, a bit of meekness, gentleness, kindness. Maybe, we, maybe like a garment we could think about putting that on. You know, in so many ways you're thinking, how do I apply God's word to my life? How do I do it? It's there, I can see it written there, but you know, how do I do that in 2011? You know, what does that mean? Well, when a situation happens and you want to just freak out on someone and get angry, why not just put on humility? Instead of shouting, why not just act in a, 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 a soft word turns away wrong? What about one of those? What about putting on one of those? When when you're totally 100% in the right for peace sake why not just make yourself out to be in the wrong you know for peace sake I don't have to prove my point here you know there, there are things which we all can fill in the blanks which we know I know there's things in my world where I can just take off and there's things which I'm like Lord I, I need one of those I need one of those you know I mean, I like clothes. 
I like going out and get my little bargains and everything. Do you know what I mean? But God's got a whole range of garments which I could be getting from him and putting on. But you know, generally, again, as believers, we act before we think. You know? We just let our mouths run wild with us. You know, and James has a lovely way of saying, you know, who can tame that tongue? I mean, we can, we can tame, you know, lions and all these wild animals, you know, we can, you know, we could even conquer the oceans with a ship with a little rudder which just kind of like sets sail and does its little thing. But who can tame the tongue? And we've all had experiences where our tongue has just gone, and we wish we could just go and pull it all back. We wish we could, but it's out there now. You know, all these, I hope these are practical ways where you can think you could take off something and put it on. Think of it like that. Renew your mind in thinking, it like, thinking of it like that. Instead of thinking, God's word's just so hard you just can't do it. I just might as well give up. No, think of it in a practical way. And so, we are to put these things off. The old ways, the old man. And we are to put on God's things which he has presented to us. And you know, if we don't put these things away, there's a warning. Because he goes on to say that... um, which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust. And you know what? Again, the book of James, you know, that's not God. It's not God leading us astray. The book of James, you know, says that we are drawn away by our own lusts and our own desires. It's stuff that we've got in us which we're not taming. We're not saying, you know what? I need to deal with this thing. And if you don't deal with it, if I don't deal with them, before you know it, you could be drawn away with your own lusts, your own desires. And he goes on to say in verse 23, he says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, family, the battleground is, on, is, is in the mind. You know, even as I'm speaking right now, some of you probably got random things going on in your mind. Some of you could be thinking about what you're doing this afternoon. What you're going to have for dinner. Should you go to the park because it's a lovely day? It's a picnic. You could have a picnic. You can't remember the, the, the verses I've just quoted. It's all gone. But the battleground is the mind. And the enemy will come and he will so seeds of doubt within your mind you know and if you're not schooled in the word if you're not learning of Christ if you're not hearing of Christ you're not being taught by Christ you will be tossed to and fro as we looked at last week 
So we need to have straight thinking according to God's word because generally if you have straight thinking, it should lead to straight acting. And that's exactly what these last chapters of Ephesians is all about. about. It's about obtaining this information and as we attain this information, we do. We start to act. The battleground is the is in the mind, and you know there's so many verses of scripture which talks about the mind. You know, Colossians says, "Set your mind on things above, and not things of the earth." So already we should be having this eternal perspective on things, and not a temporal perspective on things. You know, Romans talks about you know not being conformed, but being transformed transformed how how do you get transformed is it like star trek and you like you get transformed somewhere how do you get transformed what it tells you it, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind that is the battleground that's where we have wrong thinking or right thinking you know, repentance, metanoia. Change the way you think. Which will, should lead to a change in the way you act. You know, Jesus gives us the perfect example in Philippians. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So he sets the example. Christ is not asking us to do something which he has not already done. The mind. And so, again, we are to have this mindset where we're walking, there's movement, there's movement, progress. You know, it isn't that 100 meter dash, it's that continuous day by day walking with the Lord, looking for instruction, looking for direction, keeping communication with the Lord through prayer, reading His Word, having fellowship, all these things helps us to have this experiential perfection as it were as we walk with him and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness and so we have this picture that the old the old man was dominated by lust and, the, and uncontrolled passions but the new man has been created in righteousness and holiness. And so, as we look at this portion of the text, we have corruption con- contrasted to us being a new creation. We have passions, lustful, sinful passions, contrasted with holiness. We have deceit contrasted with truth they're all set up in opposition against each other we have those who are in Adam live in a particular way and those who are in Christ live in for his glory you see the two are incompatible the old and the new And 
as I've been trying to emphasize, the Apostle Paul focuses on the mind because it is the new creation which has given us this new mind. And as we use our new mind to understand the things of God, you know, we would understand what it means to be part of this new creation. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, those old things we used to do, those old garments we used to wear, take them off. Stop living like that. Because that is the old we, the old you. And it says, behold, behold, get it. All things have become new. And they've become new so that we can walk like Christ, think like Christ, but also serve like Christ. All to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for your word. You know, as we look at it, Lord, we recognize that the road is narrow. You know, uh, the Christian life does present itself as a, a tough life, but it's a necessary life. It's a necessary life which brings us closer to you, Lord. It allows us to be more like you. It allows us, Lord, to reflect your goodness and your grace, Lord, to those around us. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as individuals, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to, to let go of the character traits, Lord, which are not becoming of, of being a, one of your children the things, Lord, we struggle with. And we pray, Lord, for your strength to put on those things, Lord, which represent you so well. You know, Lord, gentleness and kindness and meekness and loneliness, Lord, to treat each other with love, to be unified with each other, Lord, because you've made us one. Lord, we pray for these things. We pray for your help because uh, without you, Lord, we can do nothing. We need you, Lord. And so, as we submit ourselves to you, Lord, and to your, to your working, as we yield to the working of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will perfect, Lord, what you have started within our hearts and within our minds. Help us within the area of our minds, Lord, to think on those things which are pure, which are lovely, which are a good report, Lord. Help us, Lord, to esteem our brothers and our sisters as, as being higher than ourselves, Lord. So that truly, Lord, the world will look at us as your children and, and know that we are children. They will glorify you for the love we have one for one another. And so we commit these things into your hands. We continue to pray for your blessing upon our lives, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you give us opportunity, Lord, to outwork these things which we have considered today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.